Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles. Would you open them to Psalm 23? Psalm 23. In a Bible study that I've entitled, We Have a Good Shepherd. We have a good shepherd. The words of Jesus in John 10, 11, so encouraging to our souls. Listen, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. These are so comforting and encouraging. To know our Savior as the protector and as the guard and as our help in life. It's quite amazing. For what we deserve, we don't get what we deserve. But instead, God takes care of us, watches over us. And who is this shepherd? Well, David knew him very well. We meet a young man by the name of David early on in the scriptures. And God, he uses this young boy to reveal to us great faith, great perseverance, and through his life, we see that eventually God places him upon the throne as king. And it was sometime in his life, David wrote Psalm 23. Now he wrote a lot of Psalms, but sometime in his life, he gave to us this very memorable Psalm. It's just in the New King James, it's just six verses, 117 words, and yet full of timeless truths. It's a psalm so simple that a little child can memorize it and even grasp its basic meaning. And yet at the same time, it's deep and profound and incredibly encouraging. It's so popular that believers and unbelievers of light, I mean, it's probably uh, of the top 10 Bible, probably the top two Bible verses that are memorized and remembered, John 3.16 and Psalm 23. There are keychains and magnets and wall hangers and so many even listening to me right now have memorized Psalm 23. Most of us memorized it in the old King James Version and it's deeply embedded in our heart and our soul. But it is good from time to time not only to revisit it as I find myself doing. I find myself not just from memory, but I'll actually open up my Bible, the paper Bible, not my iPad, not, not other ways. I'll take my paper Bible and I'll just begin to read God's word to me about he being my shepherd, walking me through very difficult situations, times of battle in my mind. And I'd encourage you to do that as well. If you haven't memorized Psalm 23, let today be the beginning. And just memorize that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, just the first verse ministers to our heart. Now, a couple things before we jump into the text. First of all, I want to point something out to you as Bible students. Because Psalm 23 comes in between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. And I know, of course, 22, 23, and 24. But it's neat how the translators put this together so that we see different pictures of who Jesus is in relation to the revelation of himself in the Psalms. So for those of you that, that, that know this, you Bible students, you know, Psalm 22 is the Psalm of the suffering Savior. 
It's actually a prophetic psalm pointing toward the crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented, before it was perfected by the Romans. And then you have Psalm 23, the good shepherd, the savior known as the good. So you have suffering, you have the suffering savior, the good shepherd. And then in Psalm 24, you have Jesus portrayed as the conquering, returning king. And it's just good. This is just such a sweet place to know what Jesus has done for us, even as we have communion today. To remember who he is to us. And then also in Psalm 24, to remember who he will be to us. So good and so encouraging, this section of scripture. Let's lay before you another question, and that is, when did David write this? Many times in the scriptures, in the Psalms, you can actually see uh, when David wrote it. Like, for example, we just looked at recently that when David went into the caves of En Gedi, you open up to the Psalms and you find right at that title up there, David wrote this when he was in the caves of En Gedi. But we don't have that with Psalm 23. With Psalm 23, we have some options. Like, there's a lot of theories. Let me give you just three of them of times when David could have written Psalm 23. The first one is many people believe that David wrote Psalm 23 while he was on the run in a rock refuge, just sitting there meditating on the safety uh, the shepherd has given to him. A second theory was some say that it was written after the rebellion of his son Absalom, after this close betrayal that David again was on the run while he was wandering through the dusty desert place in his life. Others suggest, thirdly, that he wrote it while he was walking through the Valley of Elah. You remember it was the Valley of Elah where little David defeated Goliath, or at least God defeated Goliath through little David's faith. And he was thinking back on God's faithfulness. I don't know which one of the three is the time that David wrote it. I kind of side with one of the two, only by personal experience, because I have found that God has meant so much to me at my moment of greatest need, at my moment of greatest weakness, the times that I'm able to spend intimately with my father, with my Abba, my Abba daddy, if you will, are so precious and so powerful. And those are the times that I find I need him the most, that I'm reminded we're not alone in the trials and difficulties of life. And even as we find ourselves in one of the most difficult times that we've ever experienced globally together. I was reading recently, someone said, uh, someone put this online. They said, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And we are saying we're living in unprecedented times. And I think they were trying to be a little sarcastic and as if we're saying unprecedented times is undermining what Solomon said. But I actually think both are true. I absolutely 100% believe what Solomon said, that there is nothing new under the sun and that difficult times have come to the world at other times and pandemics and difficulties and depressions and recessions. Absolutely, in that sense, there's nothing new under the sun. However, in the sense of you and I, like for me, I've never experienced, this is an unprecedented time for me, personally, for you. I think together for us as a church, in the 20 years that we've been together as a church family, we have certainly been through a lot together. 
a lot of difficulties, a lot of warfare, a lot of things that have affected the whole church and people coming and going and difficulties and, and crises and trials, certainly. But this is the first time for us as a fellowship family, along with churches around the world. Even as I was checking in this morning with our, uh, one of our missionaries in Italy, and what they faced with, it, with going on in Italy and all the things there. Like it is, we are sharing this with churches around the world. And some are worse than others for sure. But together, these are unprecedented times. And for unprecedented times, God has reserved for us his word, of course. But Psalm 23, so encouraging to me. I encourage you and I pray that it's encouraging to you. Pick up with me in verse 1, would you? Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Notice it's the Lord who's our shepherd. Not only our shepherd, but the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that takes care of me. Now with your Bibles open, if you have a New King James, I want you to notice, because I'm using the New King James, notice the word Lord is in all caps. So it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the translator's way of telling us that this is the divine name of God. Of what the Jews today say, the, un, the rabbis say, the unpronounceable name of God. Just four consonants, Y-H-W-H, and some say Y-H-V-H. And when, because they're only consonants, it's not pr pr pronounceable. But so what we have done is, is some have put vowels there so that you know this name normally as Yahweh, even as we sing songs about Yahweh, or Jehovah. This is the divine name of God. When David thinks of his current condition, and he thinks of his relationship to the shepherd, he says it's God the very essence of who God is, it's his name. He's my shepherd. Not just any God, little g. Not just who I think God is. Not just who I've learned. No, God in his very essence, Yahweh, Jehovah, is my shepherd. I think about that in our own lives. Right? Like for me, my name is Ed. In some instances, Edward. And I look at my life, and that, that's the name that describes me. That's my name. Other people share my name, like I, my son, Eddie, shares my name, and, and we shared some characteristics in our lives, but I have my, I'm, my, I'm myself, and I'm Ed, who I am, and he was Eddie, or even Ed later in his life, and who he was, and it was very unique to him, and, and you could tell we had the same name, but we were different. My dad, the same thing. My dad also shared our name, Ed. And, and we shared a few characteristics with him, but he was his own unique man. And his name represented who he was individually. And then I think in my own life, not only do I have a name, but I have a lot of different roles. Like, like so I'm Ed, the husband, and I'm married to a very wonderful woman, beautiful in every way. I'm also Ed, the pastor, and I have, I have an opportunity to shepherd the best congregation ever. Like you, you know, it's just unbelievable the privilege that I have to pastor and serve here. I, I'm also Ed, the dad, and I'm a father to beautiful, wonderful kids. And, and what a wonderful opportunity God has given me there. I'm also Ed, the friend, and I have many, many wonderful friends in my life. But those, that when I think of myself as husband, pastor, friend, dad, those all describe what I do in life. But my name 
describes who I am, not just what I do. There are many names that describe who God is and what God is like throughout the Bible. And even in Hebrew culture, when you were given a name, it usually wasn't right at birth. It was usually a few weeks later, maybe a month, sometimes even years, that a name was given to a child after they found out what kind of personality they had. And when it came down to it, David says, my shepherd, the one that takes care of me, the one that I look to, the one that I follow, the one that I know his voice is Yahweh. Jot it down in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. God describing himself as a shepherd is not new. In Isaiah 40, verse 11, it says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd and gather his lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And that's the heart. That's God's heart. When I think of God, we can think of him as our shepherd. You know what that makes you and me? That makes you and me sheep. And in our minds, we kind of have this view of the cuddly, cute, little, beautiful sheep. Ah, you know, and so, so clean and, and so beautiful, just kind of like a little pet. But sheep is, to be called a sheep is not necessarily the best compliment for you and for me. I guess the kindest way to say it is this. Sheep are not the smartest animals on the farm, you know. Some would even say they're the dumbest animals on the farm. But sheep have their limitations. They have their challenges. And, and as you think about sheep, as God puts that on us, it only reveals to us greatly that we need a shepherd, that we are unable to care for ourselves. You know, when you think of sheep, sheep have a tendency to follow each other around, even to the point of jumping off a cliff. If one sheep jumps off, I remember reading an article that sheep after sheep after sheep after sheep would jump off right after them. And I think in the, you know, thinking of that myself, I think of all the dumb decisions that I've made in life because I was following the crowd and not the Lord. Because I was listening to someone's opinion or I was listening to someone, you know, they're sharing me what's going on in their life. And I thought, well, maybe that should be going on in my life. And instead of just, Lord, what do you have for me? You're my shepherd. You're the one that leads. You're the one that guides me. And I think of, like a sheep, how many dumb decisions I've made just because simply I've followed the crowd. You know, when you think of sheep, I'm sure you've never heard of a sheep trainer, have you? I mean, if you were to go onto one of the job sites, indeed.com or whatever, you're not going to find anybody saying, we are looking for a sheep trainer. Because sheep are basically untrainable. They're limited in their abilities. Sheep are defenseless. They have no claws. They have no fangs. They can't even bite their enemies to death. Sheep are easily spooked and easily overcome by animals as small as a squirrel. You know, in sports, we have these teams that are described as the Chicago Bears. Here in our own town, the Denver Broncos. But you've never heard of the Los Angeles Lambs, have you? Oh no, they're the Rams. Even though perhaps sometimes they play that way, they're not known that way. And in the big, in the big uh, statements that are made, like the one lions and tigers and sheep. No, that's not how it is at all. Sheep get dirty. 
and they stay that way. They have no real personal means to clean themselves, nor do they care. If they fall over, they can get into a place and a position when they fall over, they can't even get back up to their feet on their own. They are great, they are an animal that's in great need of someone's help. And doesn't that describe us so many ways? I mean, when you think of many of these descriptions and we bring them into the human realm, we are defenseless without someone to protect us. We are in need of a power outside of ourselves to learn what it means to follow, to be trained and discipled. We're limited in our abilities. We can be easily spooked ourselves and scared and we can easily become anxious and worried and we can fret a lot about a lot of things. We have a tendency to be dirty ourselves, even stained by sin and unable to clean ourselves. We cannot deal with the sin issue on ourselves. I prayed earlier, I had this burden <clears throat> for people that are describing themselves as addicted. You are unable to handle that addiction in your own strength. As a matter of fact, as you begin to identify that addiction, you realize that God wants to deliver you from it. But you only wake up to it every day. Your body feels it. And like a sheep, we have no way to clean ourselves, even though day after day people try. God wants us to understand something when it comes to our needs. Not only, number one, are we a needy people, but listen, God wants us to know that we are strong and we are smart and we are safe and we are secure when we let him be our shepherd. And in just a few moments, I'm going to invite some of you listening and watching right now to receive God as your shepherd, to admit your great need, your great need of forgiveness. Look, you're just not going to make it on your own. Listen, you're just not going to make it on your own. The Bible says, Jesus himself, that unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And it requires you, it requires me, as I did 29 years ago, to admit that I've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. And I really didn't need much convincing of the condition of my life in that time. And I'm certain as you examine your own life, you don't need much convincing you know that you're not a perfect person. You know that you are not going to get into heaven on your own. You know, oh, everybody gets into heaven. Well, then what kind of heaven is that? What kind of heaven is just everybody gets in no matter what they do? No, heaven is reserved for a prepared people. Heaven is reserved for a prepared people. And God prepares you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to be prepared for heaven, friends. You're safest and most secure when you allow God to be your shepherd. And David, at this time, he could have picked a lot of descriptions, a lot of different analogies. He could have said, the Lord is my commander-in-chief, and I am his warrior. He could have said, the Lord is my king, and I am his ambassador. He could have said, the Lord is my attorney, my advocate, and I am his client. But David chose to lay down his life and say, the Lord is my shepherd, and I am his sheep. And notice, what's the result? The result in verse one is, I shall not want. The result is, I shall not want. Now, there's two sides to that. 
the one side is very obvious, and that is God, our shepherd, will provide all of our needs. And that's just such a blessing. I just know that God will provide for all of my needs. And until this moment, right now, in this breath I've just taken, in the next breath, in the next breath, God has provided for me all throughout my life. He provided for me as an unbeliever. He's provided me for me as a believer. He's been an abundant, gracious, good God. And he provides. And that's great. But I want you to see, I think David has the other side of that coin. I don't think he so much wants us to understand the providing. I think he wants us to learn that there comes a place in life where we don't have a need. I shall not want. And we think of how many wants we have in life. I want to buy a house. I want to buy a car. I want to gather together as a church. All these wants, 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 good, bad, sinful, not sinful, it doesn't even matter. And we just know the solution to the wants is when I realize that God is my shepherd. And I'm not going to have any wants. God, God is my shepherd brings me to that moment by moment place of contentment and peace that I'm desperate for. And I'm not going to want stuff. He's going to take care of everything that, that would have to do with my wants. Like the Bible says that God will keep us in perfect peace, Isaiah 26, whose mind is stayed on him. And I shall not want. That place of peace, that place of contentment, God will supply all of my needs. Notice verse 2. My shepherd makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. So here's how the shepherd begins to take care of me. <clears throat> he makes me lie down. Now how does he do that? How does the shepherd make me lie down? Well, he has a lot of different ways to do that. I think one of them is sickness. Sickness is used by God in all of our lives to lay us down and make us rest. He makes me lie down. And sickness is one of them. I know when I get sick, I'm just basically, in the early years when I was younger, I'm just like going to fight through it. I'm not going to call in sick. I'm going to go and I'm going to make it happen. And then all I did was prolong my sickness and make it longer. And now these days, not only for myself, but for others, I'll just say, hey man, rest it out. Rest it out. That's why you have sick time. Just rest it out. Because if you don't, it's going to be longer and might even get worse. And so the the fact that God would allow sickness, you know, we get a cold or whatever it might be, we're down, we're laying down, we're resting. And sometimes it is by sickness or illness. Other times God makes us lie down by command. Remember with the nation of Israel, he made us, he said, Israel, I want you to work six days and rest the seventh. For the Christian, he says, listen, your Sabbath rest is found by faith in Jesus Christ. Still other times he makes me lie down just by his mere presence where I bring the word of God and I'm in my devotional life and I'm beginning to read and God is just putting a settled peace in my heart and he shows up in that time of need to just encourage me. Lying down or making me lie down reminds me, jot it down in John 15, of the command to abide in Christ. Remember that? Jesus said, abide in me and I'll abide in you. The word abide means to stay put. And so when I think of David talking about God, the shepherd, Yahweh, making him lie down, the triune God as shepherd, lie down, I also think of Jesus saying, stay put. 
That's your place of strength. Abide in me. Stay put. Lay down. Rest. Now, some of you might be a little uh, concerned because you think, well, like, Ed, rest. I'm, I'm like, I'm tired all the time. Now, rest and sleep are two different things. This rest, this lying down, is God taking care of our needs so that we can trust him. It's not necessarily tied to sleep, although sleep will help you rest better. But this is more of an internal soul work in our lives. And for a sheep to rest, everything had to be just right. For for a sheep to rest, listen, they had to have a peace from predators, from pests. They had to have a sense of peace from tension. You know how sheep will butt heads sometimes? Well, they had to have a peace from tension with other sheep. And they had to have a peace from being hungry and thirsty. Everything had to be just right, and then there was rest. And it's important to understand, listen, it's important to understand that only the shepherd can provide these things to the flock. Only the shepherd. It's completely up to our shepherd to keep us free from the disturbing influences that will wreck our lives. So when's the last time you took rest? When's the last time? We could be very much. The answer could be very much. Hey, I've, I've allowed this whole situation to cause me to rest. I know not everyone, this whole type, this whole situation that we're in right now has caused people to, to flip out, you know, and, and they're just running to and fro, wanting this and wanting that, and they're upset, and they're into this conspiracy thing over here, and they're mad over here, and, they're, and it's not even, the God is saying, listen, church, I want you to rest. It's almost like the Lord's saying, I want you to rest because as soon as this is over, it's going to be an explosion of the gospel, a, a open doors. People are going to be interested in what the Bible has to say. People are interested in what prophecy has to say. Like, you are watching Listen, church, you are watching and seeing with your own eyes things that no other generation has ever seen or experienced. And God uses prophecy to get the attention. How many times in the Old Testament did God send a prophet to the nation to get their attention? And now God is allowing circumstances in these last days. Listen, rest. God's got it. Trust him. I know it's a fast-paced world. We've learned to take every moment that comes. And now with social media, we got to live everyone else's moments too. And it's just pressure and pressure and there's tension and demands. There's deadlines and stress. There's even the pressure to be more efficient, get more done, create more business, make more money, do more, think more. But God says we need to rest. He makes me lie down. He makes me lie down. I know in this time too, the word layoff uh, is being used at companies, layoffs and furloughs and people have been laid off. People have been furloughed. And I remember when I was in the corporate world, the first time I ever experienced layoffs, I was so scared. I I was so concerned. How am I going to take care of my family? What am I going to do? And then as the layoffs came, I would survive the first one. And then there was another one. Then I survived the second one. And then I learned something. I learned that the people that are not laid off have to do the work of everyone that was. And so that it just was more pressure and more stress. And so it's true. You know, we were a department of 100 and they laid 20 people off. Well, now I've got five people's work on my desk. And so I've got this stack and this stack and this stock. And then the boss is going, man, this is tough times and this is harder. And so it's almost like no matter where you are, 
if you're furloughed and laid off, you're stressed out and you got those needs. If you end up staying at work during times of crisis, then you're stressed out and you got other needs. And the, and the Lord's just telling us through Psalm 23 today, look, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to want. And he makes me lie down so that I could trust him, to rest in him, to have that settled peace that God is going to take care of me no matter what. He is and he will and he does. Remember back in the creation account, after six literal 24-hour days of creation, what did God do? He rested. If the universe didn't fall apart with God's rest, then things will certainly be okay when you and I choose to rest. Even God commanded Israel, the nation, to work for, for, seven, for six years and then take a Sabbath year of rest. Doesn't that sound good? Just to take a year off? You rest. But for them, they were an agrarian society and the instruction was to let the land rest. Let the land rest and trust me. Trust me for your provision. Let the land rest and trust me. For, but for the children of Israel, they decided that working was more important than resting. And so they ignored the Sabbath year rest for 490 years. And what happened? They, became, they had more crops and they became richer, but also they became idolatrous and disobedient. And what did God do? He brought judgment upon them with 70 years, seven zero. He got all of his Sabbath year rest back by bringing them into captivity with Babylon and Assyria. How our bodies need rest. Even our church needs rest. You know, we run and we have a lot going on and what's happening? God has said, no, I want you to rest. And he just allows circumstances. Sometimes we even take times of prayer and fasting where we just shut down ministry. So you know that a church is not the sum of everything that we're doing. The church is our relationship with the Savior. Like the church is, is not because we're active and we have a building, we have a location. No, the church is you and me enjoying the love of God in our lives. And we need to take time off. And God will make us lie down. Why? Because I need it. I need to stop what I'm doing and rest my weary soul in him. Notice it's in green pastures. So he makes me lie down. And then after the green pastures, he leads me beside still waters. That's beautiful. Why green pastures? Well, because there are pastures out there that will not feed you and nourish you, but poison you. So he makes you lie down in a place that's peaceful and comfortable and nourishing. Sheep have a tendency to eat what's ever in front of them. Even if the grass is dead, even if it's diseased, even if it's destructive. If sheep aren't moved to green pastures, they'll eat what's in front of them, even down to the dirt and the rocks that they'll ingest and cause them great physical harm, even up to and including death. They'll even drink water that's before them. They don't care if there's bugs or nastiness or it's stale. Or, they don't care. But the shepherd cares. Where we don't care, the shepherd cares. And I think of what a good reminder it is for God that will lead us to those places that are going to nourish us and take care of us. Listen, God is your shepherd. I'm not your shepherd. You go, wait a minute, Ed. You're our pastor. I have the privilege of serving you, but I'm not your shepherd. And neither is any of the men or women on our pastoral team or their wives or our prayer team or in our church. We are not your shepherds. God is your shepherd. He alone will fulfill the things that are going on in your life. He will take care of you. 
Now for us, we get to co-labor with God. We're, we would be considered under shepherds. And he's given us the privilege of serving you and loving you. And care, but we are not the ones that care for your needs. God cares for your needs and he may use us. I had the privilege yesterday of somebody being around the building and saw people here and actually came up. We got to minister him. First Pastor Keegan and then I got to minister to him for a good 45 minutes before service. And what great joy came to my life. How much I miss ministering in that way. I've been ministering on email. I've been ministering on text. I've been ministering on the phone. But taking a man and going, like, let's keep our six feet and let's just talk about the Lord. It was so good. But even then, I was not his, this guy's shepherd. I just got the privilege of pointing him to the good shepherd. I had the privilege of reminding him as I even began to remind myself how God takes care of us and he takes us to green pastures and he takes us by still waters. In our lives, listen, there is no substitute for knowing and understanding and believing that the shepherd is nearby. His presence in our lives, faithful and true, dispels the fears, the panic, and the terrors of the unknown. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And he makes us lie down because he knows what's best for us. He leads us because he knows what's best for us. And God might be saying to you today that you need to rest in him and know that he's your shepherd and allow him to make you, like submit to him when he makes you lie down and when he leads you into the green pastures. Which leads us to the final verse for our time today and that's in verse three. While, you're in that, while you know him, you're in a place of comfort and contentment, while you're abiding in him, he's made you lie down, very nourishing field, drinking of the water. Listen, he restores my soul. Because that's the issue. It's not all the surface things in our lives. It's our soul relationship. It's our soul care. I, I, I gave a book out to the pastors not too long ago, I don't know, a few years ago, about soul care. That, that really as a pastor, we're responsible. And the Bible says that we're overseers of the soul. We're not problem solvers. You know, we're not, that, our role is to get you connected with the Savior. And where will you, what will you find when you're connected with the Savior? You're going to find a restoration of your soul. That's really what happens when you're born again. That's where it starts. Our shepherd restores us to, restores to us what's been stolen away in our minds and the deepest emotions of our hearts. We suffer through so many disappointments and rejections and pain and deaths and grief and betrayals and on and on the list goes. We go through so much difficult, damaging, traumatic events and they take their toll on our souls. And often these are the very things that causes a person to want to give up, become hopeless and quit. Yet when my soul is drained and damaged, the Lord does a great work in my life through his spirit. He restores my soul and leads me in the paths of righteousness. You know, this world is heavy. I just picked up a new book yesterday uh, on my Kindle. I just picked up a new book on, on encouragement and joy in the midst of trial. And it's kind of tied to grief and just feeding my own soul. And one of the things the brother said at the beginning, he said, we live in a fallen world and often the world falls on us. And we just feel the weight of difficulty. 
and the weight of just living in a fallen world, I thought, that what a great illustration. This fallen world is often falling on us. And yet we have a shepherd, don't we? <laughs> I love this, that takes good care of us. He restores our soul. He, he leads notice. He's not only leading us by, beside still waters, but he's also leading us in paths of righteousness. Because every issue in our life is solved by the God's word. He reveals it to us. For example, there are righteous ways to handle our emotions. For fear, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. For anger, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Are you anxious? Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do you have vain imaginations, believing lies? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. God has a word for us to speak to us so we have clarity and we can walk on the paths of righteousness. Because here's the thing, if we're with the shepherd, the shepherd's gonna be walking himself on paths of righteousness. So if we're right there close to the shepherd, we're gonna be following him on his safe paths. He's gonna be with us and we're gonna be with him. And we're gonna have to close up today, but don't close your Bible yet. Turn over to Hebrews, would you? Hebrews chapter 13. Guys, know this and receive it, would you please? meditate on it this week. You and I, we have a shepherd. I know it's a hard concept in our urban life to think of a shepherd and a sheep. Unless you live out east, you know, or maybe on the western slope and you have a farm, the idea of a shepherd uh, is foreign to us in our culture, but it shouldn't be. It's just a guy taking care of his sheep, making sure everything's done for them, making sure that out of his care and concern, he takes care of them. And God, he cares for us as his own precious sheep. We can go through trials. We can go through tribulations, not by focusing on the difficulty, but by looking to the shepherd who takes care of us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So as the worship team comes up and we close today, I want to share with you a couple of things as we end our time. First of all, there's a book out. We don't have it downstairs, but we need to get it. Uh, it's called A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. It's by, I think, Philip Keller. And you might be able to find a PDF copy online. I would highly encourage you to pick up that book. It's a pastor that spent a lot of years as a shepherd and he weaves together his personal experience as a shepherd with Psalm 23. Unbelievable. I was just reminded today to pick up my copy and start reading it again that the Lord might minister to my soul. So I hope you do too. Please do it. Another thing I'm gonna share with you right now is an illustration from a man by the name of Andrew Murray. His writings are very important as well. And there's quite a few of his writings free available. I would suggest you get the one on humility first. Andrew Murray. The book is just titled Humility. And I know God will use it in your life. Well, in 1895, Andrew Murray was in England suffering from a terrible, painful back. It was the result of an injury he had incurred years earlier. <clears throat> one morning while he was eating breakfast in his room, his hostess told him, of a woman downstairs who was in great trouble and wanted to know if he had any advice for her. Well, Murray handed her a paper he had been writing on and said, give her this advice I'm writing down for myself. It may be that she'll find it very helpful. And this is what was written, and it says it all. And I quote, 
In times of trouble, say, first, he brought me here. It is by his will I'm in this place, and in that I will rest. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me the grace in this trial to behave as his child. Then say, he will make the trial a blessing and teaching me lessons he intends me to learn and working in the grace he means to, to give me and bestow. And last say, in his good time, he can bring me out again, how and when he knows. Therefore say, and I quote, I am here by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, and for his time. Isn't that good? Listen, I am here in my current condition, under the care of the shepherd, by God's appointment, in his keeping, under his training, and for his time. And so today, if you've never invited God to be the shepherd of your life, if you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins, I want to invite you to do just that. That today you would admit that you've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. Look, if you even are desiring that right now, you are responding to the work that God has already done in your heart. God always is the initiator. He starts it all. You and I, we get to respond. And I know so many years ago, I needed, I was in a place just like you, where I heard of God's great love and care and even in some respects, didn't think it was for me. I thought I was too bad. I thought I was too far gone. But I wasn't right. I wasn't true. God loved even someone like me. So I want to invite you, wherever you may be right now, listening, watching me, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because it's all going on between you and God, confessing with your mouth. So let me help you with that. If you want to get your life right with God today, I want to help you with that by leading you in a prayer so that you might ask God to forgive you of your sins. You ready? You can repeat this after me. Dear God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I'm asking you to help me to turn my back on my sinful past and to dedicate my life to following you. I believe that you're holy, righteous, and good. And that you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. And I believe Jesus Christ rose again from the dead to forgive me and save my soul. I want my soul restored. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.